Hey folks, my name is Suds. And I'm Nikki. Welcome to Zero Calorie Marketing. Tune in to listen to us speaking to some of the most innovative, brilliant, open-minded marketers we know. Each episode features a different marketeer with a unique perspective on marketing, branding, life philosophy and everything in between. Lend us your eyes and ears for the next hour or so as we discover more about the person and also the unique path that they took which led them to where they got to. And the real story behind the why, where, when and how they do what they do. Without a further ado, let's get to it. Hi, and welcome to episode four of Zero Calorie Marketing, the podcast. I'm Nikki, your host, who's in leafy Hertfordshire, Suds would say, and Suds is in Sirene, London. And today we're joined by Mark Johnston, who is formerly VP Creative at Distilled, where he built one of the most successful, well-known content teams in SEO industry. He currently is founder of Content Hubble, a space to explore content ideas, which launched in June of 2020. Hi, Mark. Hello, how you doing? Not bad. How are you? How's your day been? Yeah, good. Just getting wrapped up before Christmas, you know, trying to clear the to-do list in the inbox so we can go away on holiday. All good. Yeah, I don't think uh, an empty inbox is going to be the dream, but it's going to be the reality. by the time you get to Christmas. I feel like everyone's suddenly in a panic and sending so many emails the last few five days. And they keep coming back. That's the problem. I know. Oh, they keep yeah. replying. No, it's with you. No, it's with you. Just close it and don't look anymore. I know. My best ones are where you send one and you, you see an out of office and you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, what I've been doing is doing the schedule send. So I send the reply, but I strategically send it like really the next day just so it seems like, okay, this is the conclusion of it. So and even if they do reply, it's going to be on a Sunday or a weekend so there's less pressure for me to actually respond to it so yeah top tip (laughs) thank you so much Mark for joining us I know that you are a man in much demand and you're a busy man overall and I guess this is probably the last kind of thing that you're going to do before the end of your or the start of your holidays or is it uh, yeah, maybe one or two days early next week, just clearing up a little bit more. But yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm on the wind down now for sure. Awesome, much needed. I just love everyone today, Mark, as I going to work out in some way or form after this um, and <laughs> putting us all to shame. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I love that you're still like pushing forward where everyone's just like, oh my God, Christmas, I can now open the wines and the cheeses and sit in front of the TV and not move. Well, that's about to happen. I've got a sort of remote Zoom party with some of my friends. Um, we'll probably have a few drinks on that. And I just thought, you know what, before I do that, you know, if you go for a little workout beforehand, then it's all guilt free. So that's the aim. <laughs> yes, we love a bit of guilt free. Now let's just jump into the conversation. So you launched Content Hubble in 2020 in June. 2020 which sounds ridiculous given what 2020 is um because i think there was so much uncertainty this year so for you to make that step say i'm actually going to put this out there is amazing so what pushed you to say i'm going to launch it this year and what did you see that made you think yeah let's go for it yeah i mean it's something i had ticking along in the background for quite a long time i there was a conference i was speaking at in June, I think it was, called Outreach, which is a conference mostly for digital PRs and people in SEO who are doing link building, creating content that they want to get a lot of attention online, whether that's links or PR attention or whatever it is. And I was speaking at that and I knew that's really the kind of world that I operate in, creating content that gets that kind of attention. So this conference was really filled with kind of my people, the people I wanted to be speaking to. And I knew that I was going to be launching the site soon. So I wanted to make sure I had some way 
of like directing those people to the site. So in the lead up to that, I interviewed a bunch of content creators to dig into how they came up with their successful ideas and what they think makes them work. And I was kind of breaking that down. And so I ended up the conversations I had with them, there's about, I can't remember how many, uh, nine people from five different agencies. They each shared with me stories of about five campaigns. So when I boiled it down into the talk, there was just so much more good stuff I got from them. You know, I got the stories behind all of their successful or five of their successful ideas, each of them. So there was so much good stuff. I felt like I, that I had to cut out for the talk that I ended up writing an ebook to go with it. I threw up a one page website, made the ebook downloadable. Yeah, then I present. So I gave the talk, and I was really glad I did it actually because I ended up with two or three hundred people online at this conference. But they also started sharing it online, so I ended up with about eight thousand downloads of the ebook. Uh, sign up, sorry, sign ups for the ebook. So yeah, it was worth launching. Yeah. So it's kind of really a soft launch. I've been working away on the rest of the content and behind whilst also juggling client work and i've turned some of those interviews into my own podcast which will be starting next year so it's kind yeah. of not fully fully launched but it's coming i know that you are in either you you're going to press the button to launch your new website or not so have you crossed that bridge yet no we're gonna do we're gonna do it in january it's like everyone's winding down i tell you what i so one of the reasons I wanted to launch this site, there's a bunch of reasons. One is that I am known within the SEO industry to an extent for coming up with these creative ideas and teaching people about it. But um, since I left Distilled Agency, I worked with a few years ago, there isn't really anywhere where I collect my thoughts and my work and my insight. You know, you can do workshops, you can work with me, but there's nothing public facing, you know. And a few people had kind of nudged me on that saying, you know, I'd love to hear more from you. I'd love to see more of your writing. And, and I always enjoyed that side of things. So I wanted to get back into and I wanted to create a site. When I started in SEO, the side of SEO that I'm mostly involved in is content creation, particularly for links when it comes to SEO. That side of it these days is sometimes getting referred to as digital PR. There was a period where it was referred to as content marketing. I don't really mind what people call it. But yeah, when I was starting out in that world, there really weren't many people that were good at this. I had to kind of figure it out for myself. Hmm. Um, I did get good at it and I did kind of figure it out. I kind of wanted Content Hubble to be the site I wish I had been able to find when I was starting out. Like, where right. do I go to learn how to come up with these ideas and how, how to know whether these ideas are going to work? And there really isn't still, to my knowledge, a place that does that specifically for content where you're trying to get, you know, that extra burst of attention in terms of links and shares and traffic. Uh, so I wanted to create that page, that uh, site that people could go to and find that. I feel like I started on a slightly different thread and lost my track there, but <laughs> maybe you can remind me. No, this is good stuff. It's um, good, yeah. Okay. I want to ask that you, I mean, what we have... On we go online is you know content hubble is a space to explore content ideas and that sounds mm. that's a nice sort of sum up but for anyone listening mm. who thinks oh actually i might want to get into space what can they expect from content hubble so a lot of it is you know i and some of the people that I'm kind of close to in the SEO industry that are coming up with ideas that get shared a lot online. You know, I mean, they get shared within the community as well as being shared by their audience. And a lot of times, you know, we see, you see these campaigns that are shared, but I'm always curious, how did they come up with the idea? Like, what was the process or what was the path they took to get there? And then what is it about this idea that makes it work? Now, all of that isn't necessarily evident when you look at it. A lot of times people are just sharing this stuff going, this is cool, this is cool, but they don't really know what makes it work. So 
I really want, you know, and there are a lot of sites that curate good content and that is useful. That's a really useful resource for inspiration. But I want to kind of be the site where we break it down and I, I find out from them, from the people that behind it, how did you come up with this idea? You know, what and what are some of the habits and tools and processes you're using to continually come up with ideas? And then also dig into and go, why do we think this idea worked? And there's a lot that you can do by digging into the coverage and figuring out, you know, what was it that the journalists saw in this? What did they write about? And also have frameworks for breaking down what makes a good idea. And so it's really that, it's that depth of insight. And I say the space because the space is meant to be a kind of double or triple meaning, if you like. And I run a lot of workshops about how to come up with content ideas. And people always ask me, how do you get into it? the creative space and I think that means quite a few things like I think you can set a physical space that you do your creative work away from your normal office that can be as simple as the kitchen table whatever it is but I think we get into a certain mode of thinking and doing at our normal desk and sometimes you need to step away when you're going to do some creative work and it can be good to kind of indicate that to yourself have some triggers about right I'm not in normal work mode now I'm going to do a bit of creative work and so setting up a physical space that's a little bit different where you feel a little bit more energized a little bit more creative and there's also the digital space side of things which is really just about closing all all the distractions down there's one thing i've noticed i really believe in taking some time to come up with ideas and that can mean time going online researching wandering going down the rabbit hole on the internet to see what's interesting in a certain area and coming up with ideas but when i teach people to do that often they say they feel a little bit guilty about taking taking that sort of time because you don't always know where you're going to end up. It doesn't feel like the most productive time. And when so when they set aside time to do creative work, they often end up hopping back to their emails or hopping back to Slack because they, they just kind of get a bit uncertain and they don't they feel a bit guilty that they're not being productive and it feels productive to tick off five emails or a Slack message. And then like, you get that little dopamine rush. So mm-hmm. I have to kind of encourage them to set their digital space. And then obviously like there's getting in the actual creative headspace itself as well. And so kind of there's a few different ways of thinking of the space for creative ideas. But also, I just want Content Hubble to be a space where you can go to really explore the ideas, to dig into them and to to get inspiration, but also a lot of insight. I think insight is often lacking from a lot of places that talk about this stuff online. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of what I'm aiming to do there. The first thing people see when they go on your LinkedIn page is your epic presentation, which you created a few years back, titled How to Produce Better Content Ideas, which today has had 4.1 million views. Mm. So it's gone truly viral. It's, you know, it's been viewed thousands and thousands of times. People have taken screenshots, loads of comments. How did that come about? Could you tell us a bit more about, you know, like it's an epic document. It sort of kind of encompasses Mm. everything. How did it come about and how long did it take you to write that up? Yeah, that was an interesting one. So one of the challenges or frustrations I had when I joined the SEO industry, I didn't have a background in this. And I kind of mentioned before that I wasn't able to find the site that could just teach me how to do this. I also wasn't really able to initially able to find the people in the SEO industry to teach me how to do this. This was like nine, 10 years ago in SEO. I was going to a lot of conferences, which are very popular networking events and great to learn tips from all the kind of industry thought leaders. But at that time, the idea of making this kind of big content that got lots of attention was kind of new even content marketing itself was new around that newish around that time it's certainly picking up a lot of uh, steam and I was listening to people on stage talk about hey you should be making content and they'd share examples of cool content and this is almost what I meant about the, the insight it took me a while to realize ah, these guys 
didn't actually make the stuff they're pointing to. So they can't really tell me how did how do you come up with those ideas? They're just saying you should come up with stuff like this. So the level of insight was lacking. And I realized that just it was lacking largely throughout the SEO industry. So I want I decided I needed to go somewhere else to find out from people. So I went and learned from people in advertising. I met this amazing advertising strategist and I asked her all about how their creatives came up with ideas, how they decided what which ideas were good, how they presented their ideas. And that was amazing. You know, and it was interesting because this is around the time that people were like, advertising is dead. It's all about content. But I was thinking, you know what, like advertising, the advertising agencies have been coming up with creative ideas since the 50s and 60s. Like, I'm sure they could teach us a bunch of stuff about this. Um, And that was brilliant. You know, a lot of the content I make and the people I know are making are, it's kind of data visual, it's data led, often data visualization, infographics, interactive graphics, partly because those visuals can be quite compelling and eye catching and they can get a lot of information across quickly, partly because data can make it very factual and newsworthy. They're kind of quite engaging, I guess. And also if you're talking about building links, it's something that they have to reference if they're going to include an image, you know, you get the attribution link, which I think is part of why it's there. So I went to learn from the data viz community. That's a community I'm probably evil, easily as engaged with as the SEO community online and digital PR community. I kind of, I love the data viz stuff, you know, learning from people like Andy Kirk at visualizing data and David McCandless at Information is Beautiful. I, the stuff at Information is Beautiful and Information is Beautiful Awards is great examples of the types of content I, I like and like to make and have taken inspiration from. So yeah, we're going the long way around this. Yes. Yeah, so I was asked, you know, I got invited to speak at conferences, but because I've been slightly like early on, in my career and SEO, but because I'd been slightly frustrated that people were talking about stuff they hadn't made and weren't able to give the real insight I was looking for, I said I vowed I was never going to get on stage until I had my own successful campaigns that I could point to and teach people how I came up with it. Because that's what I wanted from a speaker on stage. And I said, I wouldn't do that until uh, I could do that. Like I said, I'd spent time trying to figure this out. I started to have some success. You know, we started to create some content, some of which went pretty viral itself. And so the CEO at Distilled, the agency I was working in, remembered what I had said. So he came across to me one day and said, right, so you're you're willing to get up on stage and, on stage and talk about it now, right? And I couldn't really disagree because I had, you know, made that statement. So I was going around asking the SEOs in the agency. By this time, I was kind of more a sort of, I was the head of creative at the team. I built a small creative team, which I later built to be a bit bigger. But I was I was more in the creative side. I wasn't really an SEO, but I'd been invited to an SEO conference. So I went around asking the SEO consultants in the agency, if I was to speak, what would you want to know? And they all said, how do you come up with ideas? Like, how do you do it? I want to know how you do that, which is interesting. So obviously that's what I spent time trying to figure out. And so I was sitting in the pub one day with a couple of my colleagues and one of them said, so what are you going to talk about at this conference? It was a conference called Search Love in Boston. I think it was in 2014 now. And I said, well, I sort of hadn't mentioned this to anyone, but I sort of hesitantly put it, well, I think I'm going to talk about how you come up with ideas. And my colleague said, you can't do that, you know, ideas just come to you and that's it you can't you can't tell people how to come up with ideas and I found that really interesting and I also you know essentially I felt like she was telling me I couldn't do that and if anyone ever tells me I can't do something I kind of <laughs> react and like well don't you tell me what I can't do so I wanted to kind of prove her wrong but I also think there is truth in that there is truth that you know 
ideas do sometimes just spring to mind. You have that light bulb moment, you're like, oh, I've got it. And so it's hard to say exactly how that happened. But I think to that ignores everything you did that allowed you to come up with that. There was a lot of work and there was a lot of lead up before there was that little gap and then the idea came to you. So I focus a lot more on that. You know, the other stuff that you do that enables you to come up with the idea in the first place. Um, I guess you take the Edison quote, you know, then creativity is, what, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. I think, you know, I'm focusing on the 99% perspiration that allows those moments of inspiration to occur. So I think there was another part of your question about this, uh, like, about the talk. But that, that's how yeah. I came to give the talk, at least. I mean, like it's 144 uh, like slides. How long did it actually take you to physically write this up? Yeah, it took me about, easily took me about three weeks, maybe four weeks. And I was working in the agency during the day, but I would go home and work quite late each night. I'd get up early each morning. I was really just going back through everything. I was going back through all the successful ideas we'd come up with. I was going back through my notes that I had in a few books that were quite pivotal. And I think I mentioned those books in the end and I, I can mention them again. Yeah, and I was just, and I, I remember actually there's a photo from it where I have like post-it notes all over my wall at home, just trying to connect it all together and figure it out. I actually finished figuring it out at 4 a.m. the morning before the talk where I finally just it finally all clicked into place the talk was going to be good but I knew there was something about the structure that wasn't quite hadn't quite clicked and then at some point I felt it and I was like I knew I was like oh I've got something here I really knew that and I haven't got and I don't know if I've experienced there's some talks since then I haven't quite felt the same about they were good but there was something about that that clicked into place for me it was you know the talk itself was actually it's a creative piece of work it's uh it was an idea it's an idea itself or there's a few ideas in there about how I structured that I was just trying to simplify how I how I come up with ideas and what I'd learned from both data biz and advertising a lot of it is borrowed from advertising but applied to our context also the the book is uh, the name of this slide. The name of the talk is a little bit of a play on the name of a book called A Technique for Producing Ideas uh, by James Webb Young, I think. He's an old ad exec. The book is tiny. It's like 36 yeah. pages long with big text. It's, it's pretty much the best book written on creativity. It's tiny. It's tiny. It's like you could read it in probably an hour. But that was very inspirational to me and influential. So there's definitely a large influence of that in there. And I've even borrowed from the title a bit too. So it probably took me about four weeks total and I really pushed it right to the edge. I mean, when I got off stage, I was absolutely exhausted. I think there was a party. Oh, yeah, there was. There was a party straight after it and I fell asleep in the bar almost immediately. Just went there, oh, fell wow. asleep in the bar and then I had to leave because the barman wasn't happy about it. And I was just, and he thought I was drunk, but I was just, I, yeah. was just tired. I can't stay awake. <laughs> Yeah, you Definitely dropped the mic and then... into yeah. <laughs> yeah. that one. Just one follow-up question, Mark. So you did the talk and I guess you shared it on SlideShare. How did it like pick up traction? You know, like how did you feel when it started hitting serious numbers in terms of hundred thousand views, two hundred and you know, you hit your million and then So that's an interesting one as well. I don't like presenting slides with lots of text on them. You know, when like 
when you're in, you're sitting somewhere and somebody's got all their bullet points on their slides and they're they're just like they're speaking notes and I'm like why am I looking at your note? These okay. slides are there to help you, not to help me. So if you look at that deck, it might actually look like that, but that's not the deck I presented. The deck I presented just more or less had images on it and the odd word. So even though I had just finished like pushing myself to get this talk, I then spent another I think it was three to four days turning it into the deck that because my deck that I presented would have been largely useless to somebody online because it was like just images with very little text. So I had to then go and transform it into a separate deck that somebody could read and follow along with. So I spent a few more days doing that, but I and I haven't always done that, but I felt with this one, I just felt at the time that there was something special about this, that I'd kind of I made some breakthroughs that were helpful to me and I thought would be helpful to others. So I pushed for that and then I shared it with my, I guess I just shared it with some of my colleagues or something, I can't remember. I mean, there would have been a few people following the event, but the hash, hashtag from the event had probably died down. But yeah, just a few friends and influencers in the industry that shared it. It ended up getting straight. Once I launched it, it got straight to the top of SlideShare that day. I don't have any magic tricks for that. Just the fact that people were sharing it and visiting it was part of it. And then in terms of the views, it's also been embedded in a few pretty big sites. Uh, you know, it's been embedded on Moz. It's been embedded on Distilled Site. It's been embedded in... There's a page on Hubspot. Spot. It was embedded in exactly somebody at HubSpot contacted me after seeing this deck go viral and asked me to come and speak at their conference. They posted this on their site. It used to be, I don't think this is the case anymore, but if you Google best PowerPoint presentation, their hub that HubSpot page comes up number one, and then at the top of that page is my deck. Wow. So uh, that that might that, that sounds like you know killer SEO on my behalf, but I I was just lucky I had nothing to do with that. And HubSpot's obviously a hugely powerful site. Yeah, so that's some of the reasons. And also, actually, I get contacted. I had an email this year. I get contacted to this day. Now, this deck is now, what, six years old? But more than one person this year, and it happens every year, has contacted me and said, I still reference this deck. I, it still is. They still find it as fresh and insightful today. I think some of the stuff in it is quite a sort of timeless approach as opposed mm -hmm. to something that's about a current tactic. It's what I kind of tend to focus on. You know, I think there's a lot of focus in content marketing about maybe the latest platform and little tricks you know like i got to the top of slideshare it you know it, it it landed on this page that it ranks really well for and yes there are some tactics you can do but fundamentally at heart it's about having a really good idea that um, really speaks to people and that makes them want to share it and then the tactics are just kind of icing on the cake if you do it that way but if you really just focus on the tactics and you don't have the core idea as strong as it can be then it's always going to be a bit of a struggle and people are looking for the next tactic because the last one doesn't work anymore. And I'm like, well, I think it might be the fundamentals that are missing. Yeah. You know, the way tech is moving is always something hot and something new. We look at, you know, how house party lived and died very quickly in lockdown. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure people already had ideas around how they were going to use it, how they were going to utilize it. And it sort of, you know, really very quickly came and went, which is interesting to watch just from a marketing perspective. And I think right now, a lot of people have their eyes on, you know, clubhouse and you think, well, this is, you know, <laughs> it's up to the users to show up. And if people get bored of it, what then, you know, building your ideas around a platform isn't a really sustainable way to look at. Wait, wait, for the ignorant, what is Clubhouse? Ignorant and non-millennials and non-Gen Z. <laughs> So Clubhouse is, it's only available to like Apple users at the moment. So I don't even have it because I am an Android gal. It was 
pegged as a project management tool for business, however, has been hijacked by the masses. Um, and you see sort of celebrities, influencers and everyday people are able to go into rooms together and have conversations about anything. So you can schedule a talk. So it's like having like a conference and 600 random people turn up and you can talk about anything from like financial wellness to, you know, um, dating to. So, I mean, they're the most some very mundane questions are very what's the word? They're very clickbaity. And then there's spaces where you can be talking about, you know, startup culture or financial wellness or even like health and lifestyle or so it's it's become a sort of global space for people to meet and have conversation have i so neither of you have heard about this or i personally haven't mark Mark, i think i want to ask you one of the misconceptions people have about content creation i think because of you know influencers and instagram is you know content creation is just you make sure the picture is really nice or it's just you know one person an influencer taking pictures and because they have a large following gets to where it needs to get to now as someone who's built teams you know um Mm -hmm. that are designed to create content and this is at distilled which you you know you mentioned Mm -hmm. what do you look for or what you know or what did you look for when building this team what do you look for what the elements you need to bring together to really think okay i have a team that can do work at the level that i think content creation should be executed interesting so you mean in terms of like hiring the team what i look for there yeah hiring yeah so i mean the team at the still just to give you a bit of an overview what was it made up of it there was me and a couple of other creative leads people that were sort of acting as the creative director on their relevant projects we had a data journalist three designers two developers a project manager and then we had a bunch of people working in outreach or digital pr um, i feel like that covers most of it i wonder if i'm forgetting it. we had one person in video but we didn't actually do a lot of video work to be honest uh, she kind of managed herself and did her own thing in terms of hiring Particularly with the designers, we looked for, I was looking for people that, you get this quite a lot with designers, so it's quite helpful, but looking for people that really, they do their own projects, you know, they're just interested in design for its own sake. It was a similar similar thing with the videographer. And so they're, you know, they're kind of driven and curious and they kind of love what they do enough to be pushing themselves to learn new things. And so they had lots of examples of their work that they had just done for its own sake. And I guess that's kind of true of younger designers, particularly who are coming out of university. That tends to be something that they do earlier in their career. I'm looking for that kind of hunger, but also evidence that they kind of push themselves to try different things. You're kind of always looking for curiosity, essentially. And then with the team, I'm looking for people that are, that kind of push themselves to be better and who are open to feedback. You know, it's it's pretty tricky. And, you know, when you come up with an idea and every part of it is an idea, right? The the design is an idea. The way we develop it is an idea. You know, there's going to be a lot of, you're going to get a lot of feedback from a lot of different people, people in the, I always feel for designers particularly because their work is so visible that they get so much feedback from everyone and anyone, you know, across our company, across the client company. And it must be pretty hard to take, but you need them to be able to take feedback well. I'm just looking for people are willing to learn and grow and that those are kind of the critical things uh people that are self-driven and you know enjoy what they do um so that's kind of what i look for within the team when it comes to the idea side of things really you kind of want to spend your time figuring out what is popular here like and you know there's a bunch of tools you can use to find out what's popular in a certain topic area you could go i use buzz sumo all the time where i'll go on and that so i might have For an example, I went on to look at what's popular in cars and automotive and then really quickly realized that some of the hot topics at the time and still are, to be honest, like electric vehicles, um, I guess, carbon emissions, Elon Musk, and there are probably some other things. So I'll then 
drill down into them and go really deep and go, okay, in BuzzSumo, it shows you it lists articles that have the most engagement. So you get a sense of the different types of topics and subtopics within that and what gets the most engagement. You know, for example, there were articles coming up about when it comes to CO2 emissions that certain countries have made a commitment that there'll be no diesel cars on their roads by this time and then there'll be no petrol cars on their roads by this time and those sorts of things get a lot of engagement so you might begin to get a sense of a very detailed aspect of this topic that gets engagement but then I want to think about but what haven't they told me or how could they present this information in a way that would allow me to see something that I can't currently see. There's a quote that says, innovation is doing different things or doing things differently. I think with, you know, a lot of what, because I'm presenting information visually, um, it gets called data visualization or infographics. I slightly prefer the term information design, though it doesn't get used as often. But with that, I think we're either presenting new information or we're presenting information in a new way that allows them to, that brings it to life in some way that allows that people to see it. So whenever mm-hmm. I'm finding information, so one example, let's say in that example of the cities that are making pledges of when they will be diesel free, when they will be petrol free. I think some of them are even trying to make pledges about when they'll be carbon neutral. Once I start reading articles like that, I'm like, oh, is there, a, is there anywhere where I can quickly see all the different different cities and countries that have made these pledges and which year they plan to do it by. You know, I'd really like to be able to see that to get a really quick overview so that I can understand the whole thing. If somebody hasn't made that, maybe there's an opportunity there. Or I guess the, you know, maybe a question somebody hadn't asked is what is the predicted net impact of all these commitments? Can we mm-hmm. see, you know, how much how much do they have to reduce and then how much might that reduce global CO2 and then what else needs to happen? beyond that. So there might be some information that people haven't gathered. I think one of the challenges people uh, with content is often that people see stuff that's successful and just copy it. To be honest, that can work quite well. And if you're not having any success, it's not a bad place to start. Mm-hmm. But then the next thing is really like, what haven't they done? What is the next thing? Is there a way we can show this information that makes it easier to understand and to grasp? Or is there a a question they haven't answered that you could answer. That's kind of what I look for. So really, it comes down to curiosity. I think curiosity is a huge part of creativity. It's looking for, like, you see something and you ask, maybe, how did they come up with this? Or how does this work? And what else would I like to know? Or what else could I do with this? You talk about, create. a lot of people talk about creativity being like play and being like a child. Mm. And, you know, with that, I think there's something that something's misinterpreted is like creatives are just wacky and do whatever, you know, it's, but, you know, wear funny clothing and you see the picture of the room, the creative sitting in Mad Men and it looks like a play school. And I'm not really sure that's the point. You know, when, when kids are really young and they get given a present at Christmas time, since we're coming up to Christmas, parents will always talk about the fact that they're often more fascinated by the wrapping or the box <laughs> than they are by the present and with the box they'll be like they'll taste it they'll you know stick it in their mouth they'll see if they can tear it they'll get inside it they might put it on their head they're just thinking what is this thing and what's it made up of and what else can I do with it whereas an adult will and that's what I think is meant by play they're just 
you know, and that can lead to creativity. Whereas with an adult, quickly just put that's a box, you put it aside and you don't give it a second thought. And I think that's this, you know, so it's that kind of curiosity that you want to re-engage. So when you see something that's interesting, what else could you do with this? Or what else would I like to know? And you just kind of break it apart and play with it and see where you end up. Um, so that's kind of the difference between, yeah, just seeing what other people are doing and then maybe seeing if you can take it a step further. And the influencer thing is interesting because you've got to understand that once you've got influence, you can get engagement for almost anything. And that won't work if you don't have that influence. Just for a laugh, my old CEO at uh, Distilled in the lead up to a conference copied some Lady Gaga quotes and tweeted them. And it might just be something like, you know, you can something about dreaming big or something. And, you know, she tweeted it and got four and a half thousand likes or maybe more. And he tweeted it and got one. You know, and it's, and it's, it's quite a stark difference. Like at, at one point, I wanted to look at the most popular photos on Instagram to find out what's popular. And there was a photo of one of the Kardashians and she'd lay down on the floor and she'd turn the strands of her hair into love hearts. It must have taken ages. I don't know how she did it. And so she had all these love hearts in her hair all around her. And that was cool and beautiful. But like, even if you went and did that, you're not a Kardashian. You're not automatically going to get the same sort of engagement. So it's almost a bit false to watch what influencers are doing in some sense because yeah, once you get there, things play out a bit differently. Like there's certain publications and certain influencers that just have a default level of engagement for anything they produce because people just automatically engage with it. So it can be quite misleading. I think it's more important to look at maybe the co- the types of content and the substance of that that people are doing, but then also think, where could you do something? something else i see a lot of people trying to copy like even i know a few people that work say in the, they work in personal training they're personal trainers or they run gyms or whatever and they look at what other gyms are doing and think right we need to do this and maybe it does help to some base level but i'd always be looking about well what could you do that's a little bit different or a little bit more interesting or stands out a little bit i had a follow-up question to that mark mm. Do you think if uh, Lady Gaga copied uh, some of the tweets that your ex-CEO put up, would she get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a good, um, that's a good um, question. I they mean, want to know why she was suddenly uh, tweeting about data or Google spreadsheets or SEO or something. It's like yeah. your the audience, you know, they expect a certain genre of stuff, a content yeah. that you're going to create. My yeah. serious question was, I mean, in terms of ideas, is it better to be original, put something which is risky and not tried before, or or try something which is a bit wacky but still fits in with the kind of genre or the kind of box that people expect you to mm. write about and this is a question i get asked in a slightly different way quite often where it's like so there will be te- i often work with teams who have found the format that works for them mm. and the challenge then is they get stuck in it they mm. just they keep putting it out and they ask that question like how do we break it they always call it the rut they, like how do we break out of this rut that we're in we've got into such a habit and we know these work to an extent and then so anytime you've got to come up with an idea you've got to consider the risk of well i know if i go with this i i can kind of guarantee a certain amount of success and if i go with this new one obviously i have i'm aiming for a chance of much higher success but i've also got a chance of much lower success and so how do you balance that up and i think there's a few different ways you can approach that one if you're having no success i would actually just look at what is being successful and see if you can try and 
emulate that enough to start getting some success. See if you can figure out what's making that work. And that's like a good first level to get to. If you're having none, borrow from what others are doing quite explicitly and see if you can at least get to that first level and be like, okay, right, we're having some success. How do we then take this to the next level from here? So what should you do? Yeah, but if you're already having some success, how do you balance that up? There's two or three different ways you can take it. One, you can take it, think of it like an investment portfolio. You know, and okay, you've got your steady performers and you might want to put a certain amount of your time and budget into these and they're not going to give you maybe the highest rewards, but they're also not going to do nothing more most of the time. So mm. they're, they're your safe, they're if in the investment analogy, they'd be like your bonds and lower risk investments. And then, you know, maybe you take a depending on your appetite for risk, you take a kind of separate proportion of your time and attention to go for those kind of bigger pieces. And obviously as well, like if you've got a kind of framework for determining what's likely to work, then it's not totally you're not just taking this wild punt on something that's totally out there that isn't mm. founded. So it's, it can be a balancing act. Or you go the opposite, you know, sometimes you know what? These ones that are kind of working, sometimes they're kind of working, but not really. Like, you know, the, the level of engagement's not all that. And you might be better, almost like just breaking a habit. Like go cold turkey and go, right, no more. We're not doing this anymore. You've got to go out and come up with a fresh idea. I think part of the challenge there is there's a quote. I think it's by Tony Robbins, who I don't normally quote, but he said, uh, you know, nothing fails like success. That's like once you've got a piece of success, you just keep trying to recreate it because it worked for you before. Whereas like perhaps one of my most creative periods was that period where I was struggling and nothing was working right at the beginning. And I was running around trying to figure things out. You know, one of the biggest most successful pieces I did was this interactive animated graphic that mapped out the history of dance music. Um, when I was about to launch that, that felt like a huge risk. I was, and I had this moment where I thought, what if this doesn't work? And then I remembered that nothing else had done had worked anyway. So what did it matter? You know, there was no risk there. But once you have this kind of safety net, it's difficult to take that away. And so actually going cold turkey might be an option too, if the balanced approach isn't kind of working for you. Wow. One thing you mentioned uh, repeatedly through the conversation is the idea of you know taking space to really do the research and do the work mm. you know you figure out how to execute on the idea you have because it could be i have yeah. the idea to do this but what approach do i take but you've also talked about you know people not really taking the time to do that because you prefer you know the trackable win than the research mm -hmm. for yourself and i think being you know in agency or being working in office sometimes you feel like i want to show that i'm producing and research doesn't mm. always like producing how were you able to train yourself to trust the research process over you know the quick win how are you able to say i'm going to take the time out to do this so i think a lot of marketeers need to understand that how to get to that point of saying i'm going to spend the two three days it might take to get me to the idea and trust that process without being you know afraid to do that work yeah brilliant question that is yeah like i was mentioning with the people feeling I mean people feeling guilty that they haven't checked their emails or their slack messages for like half an hour I mean one question I'd pose to everyone and that you know and I'm not even that good at this myself but like how often in a week do you spend two hours of uninterrupted time working on anything right like we've all fallen so prey to emails and slacks and whatsapp and phones and whatever that's crazy like we're so scattered I mean I don't even know if I did that this week you know so it's it's almost like do as I say, not as I do. I fall off that bandwagon all the time. But I mean, there's plenty of productivity advice that would say, you know, the first two, three hours, just figure out your most important task and get up and do that uninterrupted. But we don't do it. So, you know, and all these apps, you know, are designed to be so easy that you never switch them off. You never log out. They always ping you. 
you. But yeah, I think that's a challenge. And I think you've got to appreciate that if you can tick off a task by these things are all giving us dopamine rushes as well. Like, okay, oh, I got a message. Cool. Somebody liked my thing. Cool. Or when you reply to an email and you tick it off your to-do list, you get a little bit of dopamine. Dopamine. We're training ourselves not to focus. We're training ourselves to value immediate reward. And we feel strange if we don't get that for a short while. So we kind of need to break that. It's easiest if you do it first thing in the morning. So you take control of your day rather than whatever it is you happen to do if you opened up your emails and stuff. I tra- I encourage people to, if you are likely to worry about what you're not doing, I, and I do this a lot, actually, I spend time before I do the creative research looking through my to-do list, looking through my emails and going, right, is there anything I need to do within the next few hours or am I okay to just leave this alone? And usually, of course, the answer is yes, of course I am. And if I'm not, I take care of it. And then I've given my, I know that I have this time and I just remind myself of that. And I maybe have a pad of paper beside me to write down anything that springs to mind because you will suddenly get all this. Now that you take the space, you'll get all this stuff like, oh, I haven't done this thing. And you might go to jump online to do it and you just no 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 wait write that down put it aside you can do that after um so there's that i have a i seem to be a fan of quotes but there's a quote from jrr tolkien about um it says it's on the inside cover of lord of the rings i think it says not all those who wander are lost and i try to remind myself that yeah you do almost just have to learn to trust the process one of the things i've noticed that's quite useful is if you go into the research process thinking what ideas can i come up with i think for a lot of people that can be quite stressful and that's when they sort of panic and reach for the nearest thing to hand which is probably an idea you've already had and you just kind of grab that and go oh here you go i have 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 an have an answer i have an idea i think what's more interesting is to go and do your research within a certain area it helps to make it narrower than you think as well so rather than doing everything in cars maybe it's everything in electric vehicles maybe it's even smaller than that maybe it's emissions or maybe it's electric vehicle charging points or whatever it is you go and really research that area so you can get a depth of knowledge but the way you frame it is i'm going to go out and find out what's interesting here what do people engage with and when i do engage with that what questions do i have i finished a workshop once and a guy sort of well, actually, I think it was the lunch break. He sidled over to me and said, uh, Mark, this creative stuff, isn't it just? And it was funny. As soon as he said that and he left it hanging, I was instantly like bracing myself, feeling I was about to be offended for how he was going to like reduce my whole course down to something. But he said, isn't it just engaging with the topic and being curious? I thought about it and I was, it's really stuck with me. I said, yeah, I think it is. Sometimes thinking of it as being creative. I, I, I still haven't figured out all of this, but and I'm not sure I will or anyone will, but I feel we have weird hangups about creativity. You know, we we think about creativity in a way we don't think about other skills. Like you rarely hear, I, you hear people all the time going, oh, I'm not very creative, but you would never hear someone go, oh, I'm not very logical. You know, you would never say that. But I just think, why do we have this strange relationship with creativity i think if so if you ask set people the challenge of being creative or coming up with ideas i think there'd be a bit of like oh but i think it's easier to engage with curiosity and go out okay your aim is to find out what are people interested in what do you find interesting and what else would you like to know that can be a much easier guide than hey you've got to go out and you've got to come up with ideas i think people kind of get a little bit more panicky and just reach for whatever they can think of i also encourage the research side of things actually i should put one caveat 
if you're working in the same industry day in day out, if you're genuinely like a little bit of an expert in your industry, particularly if you're client side, I mean, they're still used, it's still useful to do research, but you may well be able to come up with quite a lot of ideas yourself because you're immersed in this world, you know it. And the same also applies if you like say your agency side, but you have to come up with ideas around travel or food or something that we can all relate to. We're all sort of experts in some way. We've all experienced that. Um, so you could probably come up with some ideas. There's still value in going out and researching and finding these other things that you haven't thought of. But particularly on the agency side, if you're jumping about into areas that you know next to nothing about, then you really need to do the research. My concern when people think about creativity and brainstorming, they always use that word. I'm not sure I like that word, but you know, the I, I just immediately think, what well, you mean six people get into a room and assume that you have everything you already need inside your head to be able to come up with a good idea. Like I feel like that's likely to result in a bit of shallowness. You know, like if you're not an expert, go out and find out what is important. Uh, and it's always the things that catch your attention by surprise. You know, there's a lot of kind of serendipity to creativity. And the way you manufacture that is by exploring more. And actually, one of the other things I've noticed about people that are particularly creative and good at coming up with these ideas is they're kind of consuming content and other creative ideas all the time. They're not waiting till, oh, I need an idea. Right. OK, I'll go into the room for an hour and I'll come up with an idea. They're exposing themselves to creative content all the time and they, they do that thing I was talking about. They look at it and they think, oh, that's cool. I wonder how they came up with that and break it down. What is it that they've done? How does this work? What else could they have done with this? Or if I made this, what? how might I have done it differently? So they're doing it all the time. And whether that leads to ideas or whether that's just good practice. And I talked did recently earlier this year outreach that we mentioned I compared it to say like Mike Tyson the world's greatest boxer he trained all the time right and he also there was a he, he didn't step into the ring on match day and go oh god I hope I'm still good at boxing I haven't boxed since the last time um you know he's training all the time he's practicing moves he's doing the things he needs to do to be good when it, so that when it matters like the game is won before he even steps in the ring practically uh, the reason I picked him actually funnily enough uh, I know in some sense he's certainly historically he's quite a controversial character but he's definitely also was a uh, like one of the best in his field i'd saw him interviewed on the joe rogan podcast and he had asked him which boxers he studied which boxers he was inspired by and he said all of them he's like i i had this music i had access to this not music this library of videotapes of all the great boxers and i studied them all and so if you want to come up with creative content one thing i'd be recommending is that you are finding lots you're finding people to follow that are sharing lots of great content and you're studying that and you're breaking it down a bit and you're thinking how did they do this and why, what makes it compelling and how, what could, how could I emulate this? That's kind of the equivalent in our world. My last question, which ties in beautifully to your, um, what you just finally said is, you know, are there any content creators right now that you're just loving yeah, or giving out? Um, that was my question. Thinks, even this year has just really done like really, really cool work, companies yeah, or personal. You know, I do tend to live in the world of data visualization and interactive graphics. That's kind of my forte. A lot of what, a lot of the principles I talk about does relate to other stuff. But within that world, I mean, they're not new. They've been great at it for years, but but there's a site called pudding.cool, which does amazingly cool stuff. They did stuff like which rapper has the largest vocabulary. They figured that out by analyzing all their lyrics. They, they did a piece on what are the odds of becoming a successful band? They studied how many, how many bands play in really small venues in New York. 
And of all those bands, seven years later, how many made it to playing in a stadium? And I think they went from something like 14,000 bands to 12. You know, like how they answered questions, they even think about those questions, then answering them is just genius. They do so much cool stuff. And then I always pay attention. And the New York Times graphics team is pretty much the best in the world, in the world at this stuff. If you want to see a range of stuff, though, um, there's a Twitter handle called Digital PR Examples, which is kind of run and owned by Carrie Rose from Rise at Seven. Uh, they themselves have been doing a lot of cool stuff online. I always follow the work of a team called Verve Search. There's teams from ARA, A-I-R-A. I follow teams from Neomam, uh, plenty others. I'm, I'm, there's going to be others I'm going to wish I'd said, but those are certainly some of the ones that, oh, Digital Loft as well. Like, and those are the people that I interviewed for that ebook. They all came from those agencies. Uh, and there's other agencies doing good work for sure. Actually, the digital PR examples Twitter handle shares loads of their stuff. But it's also like if you do work in digital PR, try to look outside of that field as well. That's how you come up with original stuff, like the stuff they're doing in DataVez or maybe the stuff they're doing in advertising or whatever. You studied actuarial science. And for <laughs> yeah. the keen-eyed listener or the keen-eyed viewer, you are originally from Scotland. That is true, yes. Do you think what you studied at university influences what you do to date? Not massively, other than... I'm comfortable dealing with numbers. I've forgotten virtually everything I learned at university. It was a long time ago now. But when I am dealing with the data journalist, um, Vladimir Kuprianov or Volkup, as he's known online, or VK as I refer to him, when I'm uh, working with him, I know about enough to be able to communicate with him. And as a creative director, I've kind of had that with all of the people I work with. I know just about enough to chat to a designer, just about enough to chat to a developer. I guess being comfortable with numbers. But beyond that... Um, no, it wasn't a great choice. Uh, I don't have many regrets in my life, but the, my choice of university course is probably one of the biggest. It was very boring and I wish I'd studied something more interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and we were saying, okay, decisions that you make as a teenager on what you're going to study at uni kind of remains with you for the first very influential part of your career, especially when you start getting yeah. into your first job. How can people find you and how can people get in contact with you? I mean, if they're interested in the ebook where I interviewed 31 people about successful content campaigns, how they came up with them, what made them work, they can go to contenthubble, H-U-B-B-L-E dot com, and they can sign up and get that. And then they'll be part of the email list and they'll hear whatever else I'm up to. They, who knows, by the time they do that, by the time this goes live, maybe my site will be. I don't know when this goes out. On Twitter, I'm Epic Graphic. That's kind of really harps back to my days in the data visualization community and I've just never changed it. I'm also active on LinkedIn, but I can't remember how you contact me on there. Maybe there'll be a link somewhere that you share. They, they don't they don't make the sharing as easy on LinkedIn as they do on Twitter. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, right. thank you so Thanks much. You guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to listen to other episodes of Zero Calorie Marketing Podcast. If you have a minute, do leave us a review on whichever platform you happen to be enjoying this episode. We'd love to hear from our listeners. So drop us a message with guest suggestions, thoughts on the episodes and even compliments at zcm at interestingcontent.co.uk. 